Hello, this is your host Shane with Radical Rocks. Um, today we have a very exciting episode for you. We're going to talk about the changes in the Earth's magnetic field. These are rapidly happening. Um, this is of uh, really big interest, I would say. We're going to talk about Kentucky's official mineral. We're going to talk about some fossils discovered, giant predatory dinosaurs discovered in Egypt and England. We have June's birthstones, pink diamonds, women of mining, and so much more, guys. Um, we're going to talk about several other rocks and minerals. We'll talk about some gold mining. I'm sorry I can't get the uh, theme song to play. Our internet connection is atrocious, so I probably won't even get this downloaded until the following day. So anyway, let's get on with it. Um, first of all, there's an interesting story in footwearnews.com where a singer, Doja Cat, wears a $10,000 bejeweled boots and matching miniskirt to dinner in LA by Nikira Johns and uh, they have some pictures of her I'm not sure um, I really not super I'm not familiar with this uh, singer at all but uh, this miniskirt they have pictured there has all these blue jewels and the boots have red and pink and uh, these are semi-precious stones for the most part but uh, the value of them some $10,000. The boots retail for almost $10,000 alone. So, uh, yeah, pretty pretty snazzy uh, outfit just to go out for a party and a drink. But uh, lifestyles of the rich and famous, right? So next, um, in England, there is a... Um, there is my cat is climbing up my leg, ripping me to pieces. Actually, I'm going to skip that because it's not loading right. What happened? All right. Wow. Internet is atrocious tonight. Giant predatory dinosaur fossils discovered in Egypt and Britain. Um, the largest meat-eating dinosaurs that they claim roam the earth. Um, the fossils that they have here. This is a really good article actually in cosmosmagazine.com. Uh, Evrim Yazjan is the writer of this article. It's quite extensive. Really good picture of the sailfin dinosaur here munching on some poor creature. Uh, a couple other of these dinosaurs uh, that ran around on two legs, kind of like a T-Rex, but uh, the faces are a little bit different. You can look at these. They've been uh, uh, drawing up what they feel is the ecosystem that they would have lived of, lived in. This was uh, in the Sahara Desert of Egypt many, many years ago where they found this uh, Spinosaurus. It has a fish in its jaws. It's the one with the sail fin that I was telling you about. And then the Carcharodontosaurus, um, this one has kind of a crocodile head on a T-Rex body. And then finally, the other uh, sauropods are there in the background. And, um, 
a flying reptile is in the description here as well. But they go on to tell in quite some detail that some of this, one of these are actually a brand new discovery at uh, the Isle of Wight. And this would be in England. And it is adding to the list of two-legged carnivorous dinosaurs, the theropods, that they have found here at the university in uh, the United Kingdom. Oh, man, this cat is scratching me. Ouch. Anyway, they are a two-legged crocodile-faced dinosaur of sorts, as described in the article, 15 meter long um, in the Egyptian dinosaur, the spondosaurus with a distinctive black sail, like a sail on its back. And they are basing this off of about five bones that have to do with the pelvic and the tail vertebrae. And they said this specimen eroded out of this uh, vectus formation, which is pretty poor when it comes to dinosaur fossils, they say. But they said this is likely the youngest spondosaurus material yet to be found in the UK. So I guess, you know, they're saying it's uh, just over 100 million years old. I guess traditionally they find ones that they think are even older. All of this is uh, a lot of guesswork, but uh, they do have bones to compare against, and that's kind of how they do it. Would nice would be nice to see some more bones coming out of this or some bigger pieces of bones or more of them together. Um, they certainly come up with a big story all about them. The other dinosaur species that is unnamed that was found in the Sahara Desert um, was a species of Albulidsaurid. It was first found in... Um, this formation that we talked about. They say it's a meat eater with small teeth, stocky hind limbs, and the large uh, beefy forelimbs, commonly found in Europe and Southern Hemisphere. And it has kind of a demon look to it, they say, and distinctive horns on each eyebrow, on each one of its brows. Um, they base this one off of a single vertebrae. And that's... Uh, they say that it makes it easy for them to discover that this is a new species to it. So they certainly do use a lot of uh, fill-in to come up with these dinosaurs and fossils because they found a little variation and difference. And uh, at the bottom, the article says, read science facts, not fictions. But man, they sure pull a lot of facts out of one tiny bone and... You certainly see these stories change a lot as more details come in and other fossils are found. The story almost always changes in, in my experience. But anyway, it's kind of cool. They found a new fossil. It does look like something different, but uh, a similar type of species. Now, Kentucky's official state mineral isn't really a mineral. Um, that could pose a problem. Anita Doriaja at newsbreak.com tells us that coal was designated and named Kentucky's official state mineral um, back in uh, 1998. Now, coal was discovered in Kentucky back in the middle of the 17th century, 
and the first commercial mine actually opened up as early as 1820. And of course, coal really helped during the Great Industrial Revolution. It also uh, created heating, making life much more um, tolerable in colder climates and things like that because it could be stored easily and you could generate a lot of heat, a lot easier than cutting a lot of wood and storing wood, especially in the cities. Coal was used quite a bit up until uh, the late 1800s and early 1900s because uh, like in Europe, the coal dust, you know, because the city was so big and so many people were burning it, it actually was um, kind of creating a health hazard. So they had to kind of cut back on that stuff and look for other forms of heating. But coal is not a mineral because it's naturally occurring and it is also organic. And the definition for a mineral is um, stated the American Society for Testing and Minerals, but um, it is actually uh, considered a rock and it has been reclassified as a rock. Now, that kind of poses a problem because the debate about Kentucky's state mineral which um, and state rock are kind of mixed up now because in 2019, there was a geologist there, Al Gentry, who said, hey, we need to correct this because this is wrong. Uh, coal should be renamed Kentucky State Rock and not mineral. And agate, which was the state rock, should be called a mineral and not a rock. So uh, no plan to change this uh, designation around anytime soon, but uh, sounds like... Uh, they're, at least they're lucky. They're both, they've got two of them that are wrong, so they could just swap them around, but uh, don't know that they want to do that. Now, we want to get into this article and information about the changes in, rapid changes in the Earth's magnetic field, because uh, this is a really interesting article I think everybody would, would like to read. Also, I'm going to tell you about wolfenite and mimonite, um, some really cool specimens. We're going to talk about that. Also, we are going to talk about minerals that make up paint. And I did neglect to tell you, um, thank you for joining our social media, for subscribing, liking, and sharing our podcast. Um, you can find us on most social media. You can find us on YouTube. Just look up Radical Rocks and look under your favorite um, social media. Okay. Um, what else? Okay, dinosaurs, they're saying they got belly buttons. <laughs> Was it an innie or an outie? That's the question, right? So some uh, fossils that came out of China at scmp.com, the article is entitled, Was it an innie or an outie? Scientists find the first known evidence of a dinosaur belly button. Kevin McSpondon tells us about this. And uh, they actually found a really great dinosaur in China where the skin details are the best that's ever been seen. So they looked at this, uh, I guess, a laser uh, uh, picture that was done, and they were able to see that it is much like a reptile, and it has what reptiles have. It's called a flatty, and it is basically their, um, their scar, from their umbilical um, 
connection because reptiles don't have scars like uh, mammals do, okay? And um, birds as well. Anything that is uh, laid from an egg doesn't have the same kind of umbilical. So you can check this out if you want. It's pretty cool. They've got a really good uh, picture of the creature there. And they have, you can actually see the actual pictures. And then they've blown it up and shown you exactly where these little um, things are. This creature that they found is a, a Pistacorsaurus, strange-looking dinosaur found, uh, famous for its grass-like spikes along the end of its tail, and uh, kind of like a little uh, brush, like a little uh, broom of sorts. Pretty cool. Uh, it was located in a province in northwest China, the best preserved dinosaur skin of any dinosaur fossil ever discovered. Very unique, very hard to find, and uh, certainly a great find. Now, would you like to hear about gold mining? The Mayday Mineral Property in the Clancy Mining District in Montana, near Helena, Montana, our friends at the Gold Rush Expeditions at uh, goldrushexpeditions.com tell us about this property. It's actually what they have right now is a 60-acre load mining claim. Uh, it is in the Clancy area or Clancy Lump uh, in the district of Jefferson County, Montana. There's a lot of audits and shafts, uh, defined gold deposits that contain silver uh, gold as well as silver, lead, and iron. These areas are historically noted for rich deposits of load and placer. Um, this region reported over 330 ounces of gold prior to 1940. Uh, the War Act shut down a lot of these mines and the May Day was one of them. Um, in 83, the site was reclaimed by an unknown federal agency uh, just because they can't find the documentation. Could have been the forestry, um, hard to say. But um, they will destroy the openings, usually by exploding them. So they would have to be dug up and found because of the, um, the t what these government agencies do to these mines to make them safe. Um, in 2003, the uh, Montana DEQ, in conjunction with the land manager, returned to reclaim the site. Um, they gated one of the, the audits. Uh, they did some bulldozing work and cleanup efforts. Dumps were pushed from the porthole to the audit and mixed with the placer on the lower part of the terms, on the, on the, uh, on the claim, rather. There's visible flake gold in the dump material at the audits, and... Um, Pretty cool area. This, uh, this area, historical accounts report that there was high value in gold and silver veins from the veins of the Fleming and the White Pines mines were thought to have run down through the valley. Fleming mine was still recovering an average of four ounces per ton of gold <coughs> Excuse me, when it was shut down in 1941. Um... They talk about how much gold they think is recoverable. Um, it's all speculative, of course. And uh, there is veins there. And uh, it's a pretty cool area there. If you're interested in buying that or interested in that area, 
You can go to the Gold Rush Expeditions and check this out. Um, I was going to show you this other article, but it's just not coming up. The site died. Now, our friends at Rock and Jim, Rock, the letter N, and Jim, they tell us what minerals make paint colors. Um, pretty cool. We've talked about this topic before, um, but, uh, you know, okra is an old uh, mineral that was used for red paint typically, but a lot of paints uh, that you hear in from crayons like burnt sienna, um, umber, cobalt blue, red okra, coal black, titanium white, these names um, are connected to the minerals that were used to make the pigments that give the color to the paint and crayons. So uh, a lot of these uh, things were used many, many years ago for uh, petroglyphics and uh, such. People would crush these rocks up, make powder with water, and create art on walls of caves uh, and things like that that they usually used uh, when they were hunting or as a home. Okras are earth materials of ferrous oxide, basically rust mixed with sand and clay. They can be in shades of red, yellow, brown, and orange. And Siena comes from Siena, Italy, and the color can be seen in the buildings from the local earth and clay. And uh, the history goes way back, uh, way back many hundreds of years. You can see lapis uh, lazula was used and more precious than gold at one time. Uh, the ultramarine blue was used for special paintings such as Christian paintings of the Virgin Mary. Malachite is a beautiful green color that's used for ancient art and cinnabar can be crushed to make a deep dark red although uh, that has mercury and could be very deadly. Pigmentations today are synthetic, so they are man-made, they're much more safer. Um, they're like okras, which are still safe and still used today. Some natural pigments are toxic and harmful to people, so please be careful when you see minerals. Um, you wanna try to use them like the old timers are, you need to make sure. Um, green can be made from copper, sodium carbonic, um, also, arsenic materials uh, can kill you. All these minerals, copper, sodium, carbonite, arsenic oxide, all been implemented in, or implicated rather, in the death of the French Emperor Napoleon. His entire house was painted with this vibrant green that unfortunately releases the poisonous arsenic into the air. So you can see how, um, how dangerous this could really be if you're not careful. Um, women are prospectors too, not just men. If you want to read some great history about prospecting women, you can go to elcodaily.com, uh, the free press there, and Donna uh, R. Bennett tells us about these wonderful prospecting women, rugged women, um, July, June 15th marks the International Day of Women in Mining this year. Um, women's contributions to mining are globally celebrated and uh, honored on the 15th of, of June. And during Nevada's first 100 years of, 
statehood, prospectors roam the state looking for silver, gold, and other minerals um, on their burrows and wagons and such. And you think of a, a man with a big beard uh, and a hat, and, and, or even today, maybe someone driving down an old pickup truck and looking for, uh, for these things. But uh, no, plenty of women were out in the sagebrush looking for it. And uh, newspapers would highlight these women, such as Betsy Miller. Uh, her Goldfield claim sold in 1906 for $50,000 which the article says is roughly $1.5 million in today's money. The Reno newspaper reported the successful bonding of 21 copper claims by Ferminia Saris, from whom the, na- the town of Mina was named. So this is a very well-known woman prospector, um, went into the hills, even though she was 66 years old at the time. Quite a woman also. Um, Emma, Emma Sith discovered uh, what was said to be the richest surface prospect ever encountered in the National District um, in the prospecting these hills uh, at the age of 66. Carrie Willis Wilson was also known for her mineral expo- uh, exploration around Pine Grove in Lyon County in 1934. Um, Mayim Shewelbilly, I guess, outstanding woman prospector in Nevada. She said that uh, the old-time mining men were deeply familiar with her successful development of mining properties. Mayim was quoted saying, I can still handle a muck stick with the best of them. She continued, I have prospected all over Nevada, kicked all the rocks out of most of the old trails for about 35 years. She was also the first female prospector and miner elected to Nevada legislator. Wow. The article goes on to tell of quite a few other women prospectors in the Silver Peak area. Um, a mineralogical uh, uh, mineralogist's wife who wrote and did sketches about mining and mining women. Klondike Helen was a familiar site. She built a location... Um, and she built monuments and worked on her many claims. She carried her water by foot and her supplies. Klondike Helen abandoned her car in Death Valley, declaring it a nuisance, and she did not find mining to be difficult. Klondike Helen's knowledge of rocks and minerals is considered, and new specimen is exciting to her as a bonnet is to most women. So said Uh, the newspaper that wrote about her. There's so many more here. I'm not going to read them all. If you want to check them out, go to the elcodaily.com. And uh, there's several other wonderful stories about the women of prospecting here that you can look into. Now, if you like pink diamonds, you probably want to check this out. Jewelersmagazine.com tells us the Rio... Tinto launches exclusive program for Argyle Pink Diamonds. These are Australian diamonds that are just breathtaking from a ruby red to super bright pink to a strawberry pink um, to a almost cherry pink. All of those varieties. These diamonds are high dollar diamonds um, that have come from one particular area called the... uh, 
I think it's called the Kimberly, Kimberly area. The famous annual Argyle uh, tender of diamonds began with a 33 stone viewing at uh, Antwerp in 1984 and has evolved into a staple of diamond, diamond buying calendar that captivates industry figures and consumers alike. So uh, 90% of the world's pink diamonds come from the Argyle mine in the Kimberley region after more than 30 years of operation. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Some beautiful pictures there of those diamonds. June birthstones, how to work with them. Sarah Reagan tells us at mindbodygreen.com. Um, you can find out about these. Um, they go into the metaphysical and you know all that uh, all that sort of information uh, in this article, but they tell us that uh, a little bit of history about the gemstones from the National Association of Jewelers, how they came up with these gemstones. They tell us about the Bible, about uh, gemstones in Exodus, the book of Exodus, and how uh, Israel's 12 tribes were related to these gemstones. And uh, then finally, they give us these uh, calendar of gemstones, and then they tell us about June's gemstones, which uh, is uh, beautiful. Three birthstones, it says, Pearl, Alexandrite, and Moonstone. Um, I prefer Alexandrite, but I love Moonstone too. Really a neat type of opal stone. We've talked about it many times. Alexandrite, which is a beautiful color-changing stone, kind of a garnet-type family. Very rare to find these over a carat, and uh, I think they're a great investment. Not investing advice, not an investing show, but just for me personally. All right, Wolfenite. Oh, did I just close that? Shoot. I was going to Okay, we can reopen it. Wolfenite and Mennonite um, is a breathtaking combo and if it opens, I will tell you about it right before we get into um, the Earth's magnetic changes uh, fields are changing. I think it's quite striking. That's why I'm saving it for, for the end. But our friends at rockandjim.com, if you subscribe to their uh, email, you will get this. This beautiful Wolfenite Mimonite breathtaking combo. They have a picture of it here. It has these plates of orange glass that are translucent. You can see through them pretty well. And then these uh, um, orbs and blurps and druzies uh, formations of it. This is a uh, huge, beautiful specimen. Uh, you got to check it out. It's it's gorgeous. The orange is just striking. The properties of wolfenite, of course, uh, this comes from a lot of copper minerals. This particular one came from Sonora, Mexico. The beautiful specimens. This is the best that nature can achieve. You can find them ranging from yellow to stunning orange and red. We've talked about wolfenite a lot. I think it's really beautiful when you can find a big, spectacular specimen. You can find these in Arizona and Mexico, Mexico, where fine wolfenite specimens are found. Um, near uh, over a hundred mines that have lead and uh, uh, malignite, and uh, there's a hundred. Uh, they're found in Tucson, Red Cloud. I, there's a Red Cloud in California where I think you can find some wolfenite. A friend of mine found a little tiny crystal 
uh, Glove, Raleigh, uh, all in Arizona, um, and other areas in, in Mexico. San Francisco mine is one of the famous areas, uh, Sonora and others, where fine wolfenite specimens can be found. The San Francisco mine near uh, Magdalena, Mexico, produced many hundreds of specimens that rank as the world's most beautiful wolfenite Mennonite specimens. And uh, they take special efforts to get these babies out in perfect condition. Um, and, and you don't find the combination of the wolfenite Mennonite uh, in many places, but the San Francisco one is one that is famous and you've got to check this out. The ranges of color here again at this particular mine, the San Francisco range from normal brown, yellow, bright yellow, brilliant orange. One pocket of bright yellow wolfenite was mined specifically for the Arizona Sonora Desert Museum. So that's something you could go and check. It resides at the uh, Kongdon Earth Science Center and uh, you can check that out. There's all kinds of crystals there. They have vandenite, malachite, and um, a, a piece of uh, selenite cave that was dug and arranged by Benny Finn, who uh, sounds like he might be a geologist or someone who is of high profile at the museum there. Dark red to fire engine red. Wow. That's what happens when it is companioned with the Mimonite. That's where you get those darker, redder colors. You get wafer-thin tabular crystals, and the Mimonite develops as small red um, uh, little bulbs, bulbous. Um, spear rules is one name for them. There's clusters of these, and these are splattered throughout these little plates quite beautiful. You got to check it out. Um, the article goes into some detail about Mimonite properties and the Wolfenite, Mimonite combinations, and um, so on and so forth. It talks about the availability of these. Of course, the mine is no longer mining right now, but uh, it could be opened. Pockets could be discovered. But uh, these crystals are quite expensive. The story is credited by Bob Jones at the end of the article. He is uh, so uh, valuable to the gem and mineral and lapidary and rock hounding um, community. Uh, his contributions to rock and gem and beyond are hard to, uh, hard to express. All right. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, one last rock and mineral before we get into what's happening with the magnetic um, field and the changes is uh, you can go to Christian's Mineral Collection and sign up for his, uh, his auctions, basically. He sent some beautiful pictures of rhodonite from Broken Hill, um, chromite from uh, Cuba, uh, Joe... Jo Johansonite from Broken Hill, a beautiful green with uh, black uh, other minerals that are in it. Wolfenite from the San Francisco mine that we just talked about. Um, Demetrotroid from Yellow Cap Mine. Epidite from Baja, Mexico. Epidite from Italy. Calcite from uh, the Tassum Mine. 
Vandenite from Morocco, Magnetite on Feldspar from Morocco, Tourmaline on uh, Fusite, and I'm not sure where that's from. I'm not, I can slaughter that one even worse than the ones I have. But anyway, it's pretty neat to see these different specimens from all over. If you're a specimen lover, you might want to check that out. By the way, none of these, none of these businesses or uh, groups or magazines are a sponsor of the show. We just share it with you because it's really great information. Now let's get into what I kind of think might be the... Um, the most interesting topic for today. Um, if you go to universe uh, com, this uh, quite lengthy article says, the rapid changes we're seeing with the Earth's magnetic field don't mean the poles are about to flip, period. This is normal. The article's credited by Ivan Gaugh. Now, as they say it's normal, as you read it, the article actually does say that uh, they don't really know exactly what's going on. Um, they feel like this transformation of the magnetic field flipping could take 2,000 to 7,000 years for these poles to reverse, but uh, they really don't know. They're speculating. Um, I've looked through this article quite a bit, um, and uh, the only thing they say is that, and they have some pictures here from 2020, and um, they are showing the geomagnetic field um, and how it has been observed, and they call this the SAA. Um, the SAA is the South Atlantic Anomaly. What it is, is an area of very low magnetic field where the magnetic field has been reducing quite a bit. Um, in the last hundred years, uh, they feel that the Earth's magnetic field has decreased by 10%. During that same time, the size of this SAA has grown. Scientists speculate, again, speculate, that means guess, that these events might be related to a geomagnetic reversal. There's a study that came out from the National <coughs> excuse me, Academy of Science where they are looking for a link between the SAA and the decreasing field strength and geomagnetic reversals. It's entitled Recurrent Ancient geomagnetic field anomalies shed light on future evolution of the South Atlantic anomaly. Now, this is where they speculate that this magnetic reversal, where the South Pole becomes the North Pole and the North Pole becomes the South Pole. Now, the way they say they believe that that has happened is they found magnetic rocks that are in place that the magnetic poles are flipped. And because of that, they say, well, the Earth's poles must have flipped, and then when this rock was formed, that flipping is demonstrated in the magnetic poles of this rock that is in the ground. That's basically how I understand it and how it has been explained to me. 
Now, the whole Earth um, creates these magnetic poles, which are invisible lines that uh, go from the North Pole to the South Pole. And um, the intensity of the magnetic field around the Earth has been decreasing in certain spots that we talked about a minute ago. This has been rapidly changing, and um, they've taken volcanic samples, they've drilled in sedimentary uh, holes, they have uh, looked at burnt uh, archaeological artifacts like clay pots and other things to see what the magnetic field was at that time. That evidence, uh, they say, is what is the capsule, the time capsule, that gives them a snapshot of the Earth's magnetism at a specific time. Now, again, they're using radio dating, carbon dating, whatever kind of dating. Those things have been shown to be off uh, like crazy, even when they're dialed in um, very, very well. So, um, in other words, they get readings that can be wildly one way or the other in this, uh, this type of, uh, of science. So they call this magnetic field a dip pole because the field has two poles like a bar magnet. And this uh, dip pole is measuring the field's polarity at the separation of positive and negative charges. Um, that's how they find out which way is which and when it changes. The article goes on to say that uh, they have found that there has been um, pole variations from 10 different sedimentary records that give them the idea of uh, how these poles have changed in the past. Uh, by location on both the stronger and weaker intensities that they have found in the magnetic field uh, compared to the core mantle boundary, the researchers measured the intensity at the field surface and they found um, that it has been changing. And these are anomalies. They predicted that the South Atlantic anomaly will probably disappear within, within the next 300 years and the Earth is not headed toward a polarity reversal. But, <clears throat> and again, they, it may or it may not. Um, they say that it just doesn't indicate an imminent rehearsal. One will come, they say, and when it does, it will be the first time, they say, human civilization will have had to deal with one. They say they don't know what that means. They don't know what causes it. They don't know what the consequences are. They have speculated that uh, maybe it could trigger, and it says here, there is uncertainty about the effects of the reversal. Scientists have hypothesized that reversals could trigger extinctions. If the Earth's magnetic shield weakens enough during rehearsal, reversal, the increase in solar radiation <coughs> would have dire consequences for life on Earth. But the evidence, they say, shows the shield doesn't disappear during a rehearsal and may not weaken enough to be of much consequences. So they don't have a link there, but uh, they speculate that it could. Um, animals use 
magnet uh, the the magnetic uh, poles of the earth to navigate such as gray whales and birds but uh, solar storms can warp this magnosphere and a 2020 study found a correlation between gray whale beachings and solar storms also some people think submarines are uh, guilty the new nuclear subs who knows um the SS the SAA is concerning because the weakening magnetic field makes life difficult for satellites as well. It interacts with the Van Allen belts. These belts are zones of trapped charged particles that surround the Earth. Um, they become close to the Earth, and when a satellite orbiting the Earth passes over the South Atlantic, there's an increase of radiation from these uh, Van Allen belts. And they even have to shut the Hubble down because it doesn't work during that time. They've had computers that crash when the space shuttle went through this area. So they really don't know what this flip will do. And the article ends with, If humanity is still around during the next geomagnetic rehearsal, we could be forced to adapt in ways we don't fully understand yet. But humanity has survived this long by adapting Maybe we'll be fine. So, who knows? Um, some people have hypothesized that uh, this would change, cause a lot of earthquakes, cause volcanoes to um, be much more active, which actually that has happened the last few years. There are many people who are saying we have much more volcanic activity. So, that could be something that happens. We just don't know. We just don't know. So anyway, guys, I want to thank you for tuning into Radical Rocks. Until next time, remember, rock hounds don't die, they petrify. <laughs>